Lucio and Huey, Candace here. Welcome to Real Indigenous, where we discuss what's on your screen and everything in between. With me are our usual hosts. Uvla Lutak, Pagalivsi, Vanga Angela. Maduweka, Sunrise Tipikani. We're discussing Disney's 2021 animated musical Encanto, which is set in the which is set in Colombia, set in the Andean mountains. And the story of Encanto, which I've watched several times because I'm obsessed with the music, uh, it is the story of a, uh, of a young girl, Mirabel Madrigal, who is born into a family with all these magical powers. And she is the only one who does not have these magical powers, these magical abilities. This film talks about your place, your place within your family, uh, family's place within its community. What is the role of uh, of the youngest child? What is the role of the oldest daughter? What is the role of, of the youngest male? So there are lots and lots of um, indigenous themes just running, running through this film. And that is one of the reasons why I personally wanted to discuss it because it is a film that hits on many, many indigenous themes. Uh, we know that Disney was partnering with some indigenous artists from Colombia to help bring uh, some of the design elements of Encanto to life. I was reading an article that they partnered with a, a Zenu tribal artisans to come to um, get some of those uh, details, those animation details accurate, you know, such as the design of the hats. We know that they were also working, of course, with uh, Broadway sensation Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is Puerto Rican, uh, to work on the music. And we know that Lin-Manuel, he wanted to pay homage to um, to the distinct music that comes out of Colombia and uh, some, of the, some of the musical traditions that come out of there and out of that region. And, uh, you know, in Encanto, they don't talk, they don't name a specific indigenous peoples, so to speak, but uh, the themes are definitely there. There are themes of displacement, themes of being run from your homeland, you know, through through violence, through force of violence. The head of our family is our abuela, our the grandma, uh, the matriarch. It is through her um, intergenerational trauma that we find that this family works together, lives together, lives and loves and fights and struggles together. Ultimately, Mirabelle's journey is becoming comfortable with her place and ultimately finding acceptance to within her family, her family also learning to accept her as she is and her finding that peace, you know, with herself. And at the end, spoiler alert, she doesn't get a magical gift. She doesn't get a magical ability. And maybe that is her gift. You know, maybe that is her ultimate gift after all, is that she is the one that reminds the family of why they have magic to begin with. Some of the things that stick out to me about this movie is, of course, uh, the youthful energy that runs through this. You know, Disney Disney seems to trend sometimes towards sometimes of older heroines at this point. You know, she's not, uh, Mirabelle is not a Disney princess, so to speak, but she's like this adventurous and spunky and feisty, you know, young young teenage girl. I love that everything she does, like the details in her clothes, her dresses, uh, and she's making everything. You know, I feel like I, if she had an Etsy shop, I would buy things from her Etsy shop. She puts her, she monograms her bag, you know, in her dress. And she's got, you know, the way she makes her, her, she's obviously made her top. She's made her dress. She's made her bag. It's almost like her little utility belt, you know, her bag is like, it's got all her stuff with her, you know, because she doesn't have magical abilities. So she's got to be prepared. (laughs) I especially love the relationships between the sisters, our our sisters, and of course, the very strong theme of family running through here. You know, we're introduced at the very beginning. We are introduced that this this is a multi-generational story, a multi-generational family, all living together under one roof in their in their casa you know in their magical uh house we're introduced right off the bat to abuela generation one then the aunties and uncles generation two the cousins 
and the and the sisters <laughs> generation three i love mirabelle's uh, relationship to her cousins and i think a lot of us in, in indigenous communities we relate to our cousin sisters our cousin aunties our cousin uncles I appreciate that too, that breakdown of the family. Like I had to listen to that song several times before I kind of understood who was who. And I like how we have uh, the little kids who come along and they they voice they voice too, like maybe this confusion because we're thrown right into this family, a very large family. So many names to remember and so many so many powers to remember. And I like how they they comment that is like the the kids in the song, they come along and they're like, well, wait, who's a sister and who's a cousin? You know, can you name them all? And so Mirabelle breaks it down. You know, who's a sister, who's a cousin? And of course, her she has her her oldest sister, Isabella, the perfect one, perfect, beautiful. She she grows flowers everywhere and she's expected to be perfect. And then you've got Louisa, her her, the middle child, the one who has to carry all the load and um, who is like super strong, you know, super strong, strong woman, you know, and so she's, she's extremely powerful. We got Camilo, he's, he's about ready to get his gift. He's the youngest of the family. And that's who Mirabelle gets to share a room with is she's um, as a non-magical family member. Uh, she, she shared, she'd never moved out of the nursery because she didn't get her own room. Of course, Uncle Felix, we have uh, Julieta, her mom. We have, have her Aunt Peppa. We have uh, Augustine, who is Peppa's husband. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Camilo was, uh, is the cousin who can change. Sorry, Camilo is the cousin who can change. He can shapeshift. He can shapeshift into different people. And Antonio is the youngest one. Antonio is the youngest cousin who, who he's receiving his gift. We don't know what his gift is at the beginning of the movie, but it's Antonio who goes along. And uh, of course we have Dolores and then we have uh, this whole house full of these wonderful characters. It, it's, a, it's very fascinating to watch Mirabelle go on her journey and to reconnect because it's also established at the beginning we have a black sheep of the family, of course, the infamous song Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, but we're going to talk about him here. Voiced by uh, John Leguizamo. It's the story, too, of like reconnecting and Bruno uh, kind of, he got lost. He got lost in the family is what he says in the movie. When Mirabelle finds him, you know, we find out he never really left the house at all because he loves his family. He didn't want to, he didn't want to leave his family. In Mirabelle's journey, we find that through her journey, she also brings Bruno back into the fold and back into the family's embrace. And he's able to reconnect with the family. And I think that, uh, I think he became uh, one of the, one of an audience favorite. And uh, so did Louisa. I saw lots of TikToks of people really connecting <laughs> with those characters, you know, especially when you have a family that is upheld with, traditions you know that's that's meant to work a certain way you have a certain standing in your community when you stand out or are a little bit different from your family or what's expected from your family uh we can you can feel like the black sheep you can feel like you're on the outside and that maybe you bruno has the bruno has a very sad story at first you know he said that his gift is not helping his family so he left he leaves and um kind of exiles himself, but uh, it's a joyful reunion when he comes back. So we have lots of indigenous themes that are running right through this movie. I, it really hit It really hit me because I, I loved the music. I loved We Don't Talk About Bruno. I don't know why that that song became such the breakout, the breakout song of the movie. Uh, when little kids, I heard, well, I heard little, uh, I heard interviews with kids. They just said, it sounds creepy it sounds cool you know it sounds mysterious uh because i know disney they really were pushing for that dos origatos to be the breakout song to be like the award-winning song but it wound up being but we don't talk about bruno was like playing on the radio you know and <laughs> and it became the new frozen it became the new let it go for, <laughs> for quite a while there well, so, if, you look at the song, if you look at the song construction, mm -hmm. what's really interesting about it is that each, I'm not familiar enough with opera terms, but the way that song is built, each each of the stories, each of the verses at the end, they stack on each other. He's written it to where everybody can sing their favorite part of the story all at the same time, mm -hmm. and it still works. And everybody yes. can, 
enjoy that. That's what I like about that song is the way each one of them is telling their own story. And then when it layers, when they're setting up for dinner and it just kind of, you can just pick a line to sing along with. Yeah. And you can dance, you can do the cha-cha to it. Yeah, absolutely. You can, yes, you can dance to it. And I think that's one of the things I, I love about the music in this <laughs> in this show is that you can dance to it it feels like something you can salsa to something you can um it's not salsa it's not salsa music but you know it's something that you can really move to it there's definitely a lot of movement and i love that they incorporated uh some of the some of the dances right into the animation yeah i started watching it during quarantine and ended up following a lot of the animation artists on mm-hmm uh instagram mm. and so they would tease out little behind the scenes bits and like the raw animation that they had been working on and they would discuss you know some of the different ways that the characters are connected because if you'll notice that mirabelle has green glasses which are tie in with bruno's green mm-hmm. and that her side of the family they're all in cooler colors mm-hmm. whereas peppa's side of the family are all in warmer colors and so they really were intentional about how all of that ties together and how Mirabelle's dress is actually embroidered with the symbols of all of her cousins for her to try to find acceptance and show that she's part of the family. In addition to the, uh, also with the butterfly, like Mm -hmm. the butterfly is like the central element at the, at the kind of like the center and the lowest point of the, the, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that you call around the neck. The collar. The collar. The, collar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the shawl collar. <laughs> the decolletage. But they, because, you know, everybody was like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, at the end, she finds her gift. What is, why didn't she get her own room? And all of the animators were just like, think about it. And everybody's <laughs> like, no, she should have gotten her own room. And they're all like, okay, just, just think about it. You'll get there. <laughs> 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 finally somebody's like oh it's it's her house she's it's her house it's her house the whole thing is hers <laughs> yeah <laughs> everybody's like oh okay 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 <laughs> yeah I mean, it does seem like the house the casa is responding pretty much to her mm-hmm. deliberately right? i don't very much deliberately only answers to her right yeah i don't feel like it responds to other people it does not. I mean, things happen, but yeah. Because yeah. her, well, in the the conflict between her abuelita and her, mm-hmm. that's what has to get resolved in order for the house to have a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. Because her abuelita is passing the torch to the next generation to keep the house going. And it was a lot of fun to watch all of the behind the scenes stuff. Oh, yeah. Online. Because since we were all sitting at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it was a beautiful scenery too. I, I think I read that some of the animators that they went down, that they went south, you know, to go spend some time in those mountains just to sketch what is that landscape like. And I like how uh, Bruno, like, uh, I think he's one of the few who comment on like what it's like living in the valley. And he's, you know, that's he says that's one of the reasons he didn't leave. You know, like I love my family. I don't want to. I don't want to leave them. But you know, the mountains are high. You know, <laughs> you know, like it's a it's a hard place to get to. <laughs> it was not. It was a nice. It was a nice scenery uh, for for those of us who were you know watching this while we were <laughs> locked down in the pandemic, yeah. getting to see like this beautiful, this beautiful animation, so colorful. Of course, one of the things that that thrilled me was that I love seeing this family. This family that has all of the varying skin tones, because I think that that's something that a lot of families, a lot of our families, we we can connect to and can connect with, is that we have, we have family, yeah, we have, we, we come in all the shades of the rainbow. I thought that that was a very, I thought it was very well done in that manner, you know, and that's why I feel like this, this, this one sticks out. This one sticks out too, as far as like Disney animation goes, like, I don't know if I've ever seen such a varied family like that you know uh, as far as their skin hue and skin tone well i was just going to say it does seem to reflect um what i have come to understand about columbia um the skin tones of course just in general 
of any background, indigenous or not, there are definitely different shades. Indigenous backgrounds, definitely, that's definitely the case. I mean, just looking at Mirabelle's family with Louisa and Isabella, they definitely have their own skin tones. But also Colombia is diverse enough where there's like definitely Afro-Indigenous backgrounds. And that's something that uh, Felix seems to be representative of or Antonia. So like that, that was really, you're right. That's really refreshing to see. Yeah. Not only diversity of skin tone, but like this multiracial family that's also complete. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's even though that also like Bruno is sort of missing, He's also not missing. He's there. Yeah. Uh, people just choose to either ignore that he's there or he has, you know, made himself uh, semi-invisible to most. But the family is complete for the most part. And that I feel like is something that we also don't see in like uh, a Disney film. Yeah. That the family is complete mm-hmm. and it's not imperfect, I guess, if oh. it's missing a family member, which is usually this thing with like the, the Disney princess is an orphan they have to maybe find completion with other magical means or something. And here the magic still remains, but it's like, there's still a family and it's diverse. It doesn't feel like there's something that's necessarily missing, I guess there, even though that's, that's an amazing thing. Cause there is a character that is missing, but they're still present. I feel like that's a pretty indigenous idea. The fact that somebody is not with you, but also still with you. Mm-hmm. This idea of Bruno. I think that's an interesting depiction of family yeah and I think we kind of have on that theme too uh the abuelo you know who who dies uh Mm -hmm. and getting to their new homeland I had read somewhere that the house is also representative of his spirit so he's also his Mm -hmm. his presence is also there abuela Mm -hmm. still talks to him I've heard that it's like his that it's his spirit too that is definitely part of the house we have a whole family, whereas most of Disney princesses, you know, they sadly are orphans or they, they lose their parents. And that, I think that's one reason why I was really, uh, Encanto just stands out, is that you mm-hmm. have a very, very whole extended family unit. Well, you could say the mm-hmm. same thing for Moana. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Moana. Mm-hmm. Moana and Encanto both are seem to happen pre-contact mm-hmm. um, pre-colonialism right so sort of sort of. i mean I, i've right i feel like Encanto is this moment of some sort of form of colonialism with confrontation where abuela is running with the triplets yeah yeah right, right. and then we see those individuals but we don't necessarily back. know those are colonists they could have been another we, village that is taking over the because that happens a lot Mm-hmm. It, yeah totally yeah that's that is true mm-hmm. i guess uh, the way that i interpret that is that it's an element that stands in for some sort of colonialist interaction which it doesn't I, have to be you're right yeah i interpret it is that way too but maybe that's maybe that's and i didn't i, I took that as it was a neighboring village just because historically in the americas you know people would go to war with each other yeah, that's definitely true. So I I assumed it wasn't colonialism. But, you know, Mo- Moana also has the intact family, the grandmother yeah. that mm-hmm. that walks on but still stays there. Still the same the same composer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think also one of the directors. Um well, I know that Jared Bush wrote Moana who directed one of the directors on this and and one of the screenwriters and they also Um, worked a lot with the pacific islanders to incorporate the artwork the clothing all of those elements that we see in Encanto. interestingly enough though i find frozen 2 to be more indigenous or to take on a bigger topic of colonialism than these two films because Mm -hmm. it's about reparations in fact Mm -hmm. i got into a conversation with one of the animators on instagram about how frozen 2 takes on reparations Mm -hmm. and they and he was like yeah we were we were trying to be subtle and instructive but deliberate 
about that. And that's the whole reason the dam comes down and how they fix that whole situation between the two of them in order to repair the relationships between the indigenous people and the colonists, which I thought was really interesting. You're talking about Frozen 2. Talking about yeah. the second one, not the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen the second one. Well, she finds out that, you know, the sisters find out that they're mixed. So it's a little bit more of that lesson in how reparations can be made where it benefits everyone because everybody wins in the towards the end of frozen two well you're making me think that we should you know look at frozen two (laughs) (laughs) you should we should definitely we can let's look at frozen two i'll rewatch that not too long ago myself (laughs) it's gorgeous it is very it's beautiful visually stunning I saw it on the big screen before we went into lockdown and was just blown away by the artwork in it because they talk about the four elements. Do you know if they animated similarly to Encanto where it's like they did like hand drawings and then they went into like digitize a version of them? Yeah, I think that's kind of standard these days is they start with the artwork and then they start loading it in and then they run the test i mean it's a laborious i don't know how long these animated films take they must take forever i mean uh encanto i think was announced in 2013 so you know just from the start it's pretty early and then i think they start production i guess they quote unquote start filming in 2017 and then it's released in 2021 so that that's a very long period of time and I would imagine between like 2013 and 2017, there's like character design stuff that's happening. So very rudimentary ones, probably. And then research. And I don't know when Sharice Castro-Smith came on, but it, it seems like she's had a major influence, at least on Mirabelle. I think that this is a interesting move on Disney's part, since they've been historically, I mean, how cringy is Pocahontas, which we all loved. When it came out, they've moved forward so far forward in yeah. the story concepts that, you know, in Pocahontas, they were trying to get the that message across about, you know, being kind to the land, conservatism, but not quite to the extent of Frozen 2. But then when you get into Moana and Encanto, you get into more along the themes of intergenerational trauma. Oh, and Turning Red. Turning Red is also an intergenerational trauma movie and how all these grandmothers and great-grandmothers influence so many generations past them which you know I still remember my grandmother seeing the soldiers outside her front door when Mm -hmm. I was a little girl and that still I still carry that with me about what Mm -hmm. it would have been like to have that and she was such an amazing strong person so I think it's good I think it's good that Disney's being more aware of the diversity. Yeah, I I guess it's interesting that you bring up Pocahontas. Pocahontas was a big deal when it came out, just by the fact that we were being listened to, you know, mm-hmm. that there were advisors and that it was casting indigenous people, native people in native roles, and that it was thinking about some elements of history, even though now we kind of, we definitely see the um, the limits of their attempts. But the amount of money that they spent and the amount of time they, they spent on Pocahontas, I feel like we, we needed that to get to this place. It's just like, you know, West Duty would not be anywhere without the leather and feather and the same thing right. here. And the fact that they bring on the first Latinx director, co-director for Encanto, like that's, I think, a result from those attempts. But yeah, this the complexity here of the new generation that's dealing with generational trauma is a really complicated idea. It is really amazing that's trying to communicate that to a young audience because I don't think I, I definitely did not have the clarity of those issues when I was younger. Oh, no. The most traumatized I've ever been from a Disney film was Bambi. Oh, <laughs> That, that was a hard one. <laughs> and it wasn't until I watched it again as an adult, I was like, oh my gosh, this was not misplaced trauma because that is a very traumatic film to mm-hmm. show to little kids. Right? Yeah. It's sad. It's so it's sad. sad. It's so sad. And it was yeah. Di- Walt Disney's attempt to show the importance of 
keeping the forest pristine and, you know, be a good steward of the earth. But it was just very heavy handed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> heavy handed, but it's working. It worked on you and it works almost oh. on everybody when they watch Bambi for the oh, first yeah. time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is in most cases also very young. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and there are, there, I mean, I was much older when The Lion King came out, but I, I felt a similar oh, yeah. Yeah. response with um, Bufasa. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he's murdered, I know. When he's murdered. Yeah, like, I wouldn't watch The Lion King for, I think there was a few years when I, I was a child, of course, when I watched The Lion King for the first time. And I just blubbered and cried and I just couldn't stand it you know um and it was just really hard for me to get through the film as a kid and I remember when my brother or my sister they wanted to watch Lion King again watch Lion King I'm like no I don't want to watch that and it took me a few years before I could watch it on on the reg the way that we did with all of our Disney movies that were in our collection you know we we watched them on we watched a lot on repeat you know, and but that one was one that was just super, super duper hard, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't, couldn't quite do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not until I was a little bit older. Yeah, I can imagine. And just comparing these, who are very iconic moments of trauma that have an influence on the protagonists, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how this is depicting yeah. generational trauma, and maybe yeah. the moment in which there's a very specific traumatic start it's it's pretty much it feels like it's about mood and it's about reaction but it doesn't really linger on violence it seems like and it it it, it seems to emphasize hope and the future it's always about the sort of like moment of reconnection it seems like or or embrace um abuela is able to really embrace the children and then they become an element of hope out of this moment in the first kind of flashback, it seems like. And then when we, or maybe that's the second, but we'll, it's also connected to Mirabelle and the present and the hope that's going to happen of survivance, which doesn't happen in either of those other films when the moments of trauma are depicted. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like you're sitting in like hopelessness and sadness and disconnection and uh, isolation. Mm-hmm. But this one, it's you know that's an interesting thing that it's like the family is still present and the future is still present lineage is still present and then there's, it's also sort of like non-linear uh, we kind of go to a place and then we re- revisit time and it's both present and past at the same time and those are really complicated concepts of indigenous time i think there's a lot of stuff on social media that i see where they talk about like uh, especially in indigenous social media where they talk about like if you help to heal like your your trauma it helps heal uh, the generations back to I don't know the science behind that or how true that is or the indigenous or to be honest I don't know which indigenous thought which indigenous peoples that thought arises from but I think it's a very uh, it's a touching thing I think that's something that's supposed to bring healing like maybe Mirabelle and finding her place, she's helping her grandma reconnect or refine what her place is when she when she was the one who was physically removed from where she was and from you know this position of new wife, young mom, three kids, all alone by mm-hmm. herself. Although they never explain where all of the other villagers come from. They they do not. They do not explain that. <laughs> they do but not. I wonder to, that. But there was a group of people going with them. I think during that, that displacement, during that act of mm-hmm. earlier act of violence, like wasn't it a whole group of people? Like oh, that's true. Whole that's village true. being pushed yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. Mm-hmm. That's those are probably uh, the generations of the villagers that were pushed out before, and um, I'm assuming. I'm just assuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, um, that's what I felt too. It seemed like yeah. there, it felt like Abuela was the last, probably like a dozen people in front of her at least. And I like how too, like I think at the end, like 
when Abuela and Maribel, they're coming together, healing or getting a new understanding of, or getting a better, newer understanding of each other. I think there's this idea that Abuela and Mirabel may be more alike than they realized, you know, like as far as maybe feeling alone. And the fact that Mirabel, or even the fact that Abuela, even though she's not, she technically doesn't have a magical gift. She has the candle in that mm-hmm. that's in all of her clothing, you know, that, that symbol of that candle. Uh, but she technically, yes, yeah, she was the leader. And uh, as Mirabel says, this is her show. <laughs> but she technically doesn't have like a, a gift, it seems, uh, but or that we can see, you know, that. No, doesn't the house respond to her? Like, just like Mirabel? The house does respond to her. And maybe that, oh, well, maybe that's the gift. Maybe that's the, yeah. maybe that, maybe that is the gift. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that Abuela's gift is not as overt as something, you know, as like Julieta being able to heal, heal people through food, you know, or Luisa being able to lift donkeys, <laughs> and, right. you know, and, uh, the different powers, Peppa controlling the weather kind of stuff. But anyway, but I think that that leads to that understanding. And I have to, I have to show my love too. I, I too was also a, a fan favorite of Louisa. Louisa was one of, I think, one of the most popular breakout characters for Encanto. And I know that they're the animators. They really pushed to have her present as very muscular, very defined and toned and muscular. But I know at first Disney pushed back against that. They wanted her to be a little bit more um, traditional femininity. But uh, all of a sudden, like I saw so many TikToks of young people and young women of color who were cosplaying Louisa and like lifting weights. You know, they would be like, like (laughs) they were like, I recognize, I, I identify so hard with strong woman, you know, with the yeah. strong weightlifting woman who um, is the person who also emotionally bears all the load, winds up being the emotional bearing the load of the family. And it's a lot and it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much for for that, for one, for one kid to do, you know, and, and that's what she is. She is, she's still a kid, you know, she's still a a young person lots being asked of her as all the family is being asked of so i know that i was um, really felt for louisa <laughs> yeah the first time i watched it i was like oh just, oh look it's a new cartoon i'll watch it and sure. then by the end i'm like sobbing and i'm like oh my gosh i never thought that i'd have all the feels for this <laughs> <laughs> me too me too I, I, i've watched this several times and each time i'm like I feel for Mirabel, but I also really identify with having to feel like you're a perfect oldest daughter, like Isabel, or or that you have to bear the weight of family load and family traditions, you know, like Louisa. So, you know, I know there were a lot of people who identified with that. (laughs) I will say my favorite joke out of the whole thing is when Mirabel is chasing bruno mm-hmm. through the mist oh and they're like hanging you know they're hanging and he falls yeah. down into the mist <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's so funny every time if even if i just have it on in the background when i'm sewing or whatever and it comes to that part i'll stop and i'll, I'll watch it and, I'll, and then i'll laugh because it's just the way he stands up and just kind of waves everything away or but that it's amazing how that moment is also so like it works so symbolically you know the the fact that they perceive that the cracks are going to result in this deep recess mm-hmm. and and really it's how to overcome it is very uh, achievable and it's just almost their perception that there's this deep cavity Oh, yeah, that's both between true. like family members and then also perhaps in terms of like overcoming their issues yeah that's a that is a great moment in all of his little telenovelas oh gosh yeah, yeah. His telenovelas. right they're in love I mean, she doesn't remember <laughs> 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 yeah that was, that was beautiful <laughs> john like wasama is kind of having a moment these days 
He is. God. Yeah, he showed up in Violent, wait, wait, Violent Night, that Christmas. Did he? Right. Oh, yes. yeah, he's yeah, Night. Yeah, and then he was in the menu. He was, yes. yeah. He said, John Hulick was all about, he allegedly said that he based his performance in the menu off of Steven Seagal, he, who he said was the worst celebrity that he'd ever met. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Now, we're talking about somebody's cousin. <laughs> Who's cousin? <laughs> they can come at me. <laughs> Did he get adopted by some tribe? Didn't Steven Seagal get adopted by some tribe? They couldn't come at me. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it y'all no i don't oh. know i hope not <laughs> i wasn't a part of that not though not that cherokee maybe it was those other ones <laughs> gosh i hope not yeah we we, we, we could have abducted him i guess please don't let it be <laughs> well i heard that he was Steven? very I've heard that he's very unpleasant, Steven Seagal. Yeah, he might be. Who knows? Well, like I mean, I'm sure you know everybody says everybody's unpleasant. I'm sure he could be. I'm sure he could um, be. I guess. Well, I guess he's allegedly <laughs> legend. It's legendary, I guess, that he starred on the worst episode of SNL. I guess, like you. Oh. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to look it up because this is something that my husband told me, and he's like, "Yeah, it's bad. It's like the worst episode." And they say it's all because of him <laughs> because he's not he doesn't oh, he doesn't wow. drive with ensembles <laughs> i digress uh, <laughs> uh, off topic, off topic. <laughs> he's buddhist he was he was born in michigan or somewhere right he was granted um, russian citizenship in 2016 right i think this is because one of his parents have russian backgrounds i believe mm-hmm. isn't he of some indigenous background in his, in the on deadly ground movie like the character is that what I, what's making my memory think that he's indigenous or claims yeah maybe he, he, the character named forrest taft he's like a martial artist and environmental agent taking on the oil corporation in on deadly ground i have vague memories of watching this and feeling pride <laughs> <laughs> when it's like a teenager <laughs> like yeah it's finally our issues yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but, it looks like he walked around in a, a leather or a suede jacket with fringe on it ah, yeah mm-hmm. one time anyway allegedly that's what john like was almost said is that he allegedly based his performance on uh steven seagal oh that's how we got to steven seagal <laughs> that's how we got to steven seagal was john like was almost that he, that he performance in the, in the menu off of Steven Seagal. The two degrees of John Leguizamo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say that I was quite surprised um, that Mirabelle was played by Stephanie Beatriz. Yeah, uh, Roy was surprised too because he didn't know she sang. He knows her. Yeah, from, I, know I imagine as you know from is it uh, Reno nine one nine nine. Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I have, I've only watched a few episodes of it, but I could see how (laughs) my husband was surprised. She's, she's phenomenal on that too. She's super funny. I really love her delivery (laughs) on everything. And she was um, going into labor when she was singing one song for the soundtrack. Oh my, which song? (laughs) I can't remember which one, but she, yeah, she she wouldn't tell anybody that she was having labor pains so that she could finish taping or finish recording the song. And wow. then she's like, okay, I gotta go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I gotta go give a baby. <laughs> oh my gosh. That yeah, interesting. Want to find out which song it was. <laughs> yeah, but that's quite some talent if she's like the kind of hard character that she is, almost like not as expressionistic and certainly not as um the the vocal tones are not quite as high or youthful mm-hmm. in nine and then here she is she's like singing essentially a teenager and i i was convinced when i first watched it. i had no idea i was quite impressed by that well she shows up in in the heights yeah she's in the heights or in in the heights yeah yeah which was also a uh, uh yes 
at least the, the songs were written by Lynn Manuel Miranda. I'm surprised that that film didn't do better than it did. Didn't that also come out during pandemic as well? Well, it I did. Yeah, I think the so. Theater, didn't it? Oh, maybe you did. Okay. Well, I mean, it was out in the theater, but it was also during, you know, like the pandemic had hit many places. Mm-hmm. So this was June 2021 when it was released. Tough time, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really tough time. Because in Kanto, at the very least, like I believe that they released it streaming pretty soon because I don't remember we didn't watch it in theaters. We watched it streaming. <laughs> we were like, we're not going anywhere. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely did that streaming thing. Although I didn't know, I, I knew it was in the theater. Yeah. It was, in, it was in theater Thanksgiving and then it went online on, on, on Christmas Eve. Ah, so yeah, pretty soon. Uh, okay. Any last thoughts on Encanto? For me, it says some of those takeaways for the Madrigals, the Madrigal family is um recognizing and uh healing intergenerational problem or, or intergenerational trauma and beginning to address that finding your place within family and actually uh, to talk a little bit more about that what i had read too was that there were some families and it would be like young young people watching them with their with their older family members and that a lot of the older family members didn't like Encanto because they believed that Mirabelle was being very selfish throughout the movie, that they didn't see it as this, but the but it seemed like the younger people were connecting with Mirabelle in a way that the elders did not, but the, maybe the elders like connected more with the adults and with Abuela's um, thinking, you know, about keeping things in line, keeping things together for the family. Everything's for the family. But do we sacrifice? The fan, do we sacrifice a family member for the sake of this idea and this concept of family? And I think in Kanto, I think it's very touching. I think it's very, I think it's very sweet. And I think it addresses so many things. And it, it seemed to resonate with a lot of people about addressing their indigenous trauma or it, about addressing uh, intergenerational trauma and addressing what is your role in a multi generational family and who are you within that within that family group that family group that you love you love and that you are a part of uh, but sometimes you don't always feel a part of that family but uh about finding and reconnecting your place with your place and your purpose within that family i did find it very interesting that it was um attempting to balance those circumstances of family versus the individual. And I was myself kind of conflicted. I'm always conflicted about how films attempt to address that issue. Um, This film definitely communicates that the family as a community can only work if all members of the family can contribute somehow. And it starts that way, almost emphasizing that every individual has their own specific perhaps contribution through their own unique magical skills. Um, And in that way, it's suggesting that there's an individual that is, has a certain talent that has to contribute, but the sacrifice for the family is a, is a very strong, I think value system, particularly for those who are first generation immigrants or emigres and uh, the sacrifice does result in a certain kind of survival, and that survival form does change today. I think it's interesting that the film does seem to imply that the individual is just as important as the collective, and it's not one or the other. Uh, they, they function because they're able to uh, take a break. They're able to um, take care of their own personal health as much as the communal health. By the end of the film, I think that's a really interesting message, right? Like that, that, I just really connected with Louisa. I think a lot of people seem to, but the fact that she was forced to take a break on a hammock uh, suggested that her personal health was just as important as her sacrifices for the community, and those have to be in balance. And that really seems to be maybe what Mirabella is able to contribute. That is a really interesting sort of. Uh, result of thinking about multi-generational conflicts because I mean just naturally regardless of whether someone's indigenous or not generations will have their own cultural divides about 
how you approach resolving problems. And I thought this was a really interesting film that did attempt to kind of balance those issues. I uh, just one last thing about Mirabella. I think it's interesting that uh, I I never felt like she did not have some sort of magical talent. It was it, it maybe because I don't watch animated uh, musicals all that often anymore. But the fact that she is the one that initiates everyone to sing felt like that somehow something that I observed as like a talent that she had. She evoked everyone into song. I mean, that's natural for the form of a musical, but I thought that was an interesting result of the genre that I, as a viewer, was able to say, well, it's very clear that she's got a talent that nobody's recognizing because it's it seems like it's got no practical purpose. But if you think about how it's stitched into the narrative, she's able to sort of tease out what people are thinking and what they're hiding. And of course, the musical, this is the moment where people are able to finally expl explicate everything that's going on in a, in a form that's very harmonious. And it does take more than one person for that to be musical. Um, so it seemed like that form was also something that was related to her talent and to the solution between the tensions of the family members so that that was interesting and i um admired that i've enjoyed watching i mean as a disney devotee since i was little bambi <laughs> i've enjoyed watching how disney has progressed with the damsel in distress versus now healing intergenerational trauma and emotional intelligence mm. because I think these movies more recently have been a really handy teaching tool for kids to learn how to talk about their emotions you know when we were well when I was little you just didn't do that young ladies were never allowed to be angry and so it's nice to see how people in this generation are open to talking about their feelings and being heard and I think that that's an important way to break cycles and to make for a healthier society. I mean, of course, we were never there pre-contact. So we don't know if that's how our people were before the Western ideals of hard work and pull yourself up by your bootstraps came into our lives. But I get the feeling that those were outside influences to our our emotional well-being because at least you know all the stuff that i read about alaska everybody was happy you go get what you needed to eat you'd sit around you'd tell stories you know they were content and so it's it's nice to see how maybe we're kind of balance tipping the scales back into balance between the you know suck it up and deal with it buttercup versus this is valid let's talk about it and let's see where we can go from here yeah it's interesting this is off topic <laughs> i'm sorry this goes <laughs> too long it's interesting that you're bringing this up because all the things you're talking about are things that i see in the um the current sarah Polly film women talking it, oh, it seems to address some yet. similar circumstances yeah you've got to see it it's it's very interesting but Frances McDormand plays kind of like this character in this, what I, what I believe is a Mennonite community. And we see that she's essentially kind of like one of the older members and she disagrees with the primary plot of the film, which is that all the women that are experiencing all sorts of trauma at the hands and relationships of these very dominant men, that they're able to sit down and discuss an alternative to being complacent or being submissive or being quiet and to take a stand somehow. Her reaction pretty quickly at the beginning of the movie is what you're talking about, this sort of like bootstraps. And it's just sort of yeah. like, like a character says, you know, that they, they, how can they ever achieve what things that they want with the, the circumstances, the way that they are. And her answer is want less Right. That that's I feel like that speaks to a very specific form of generation. And mm -hmm. and that's very easy to see applicable to colonial colonialized people. Um, and then, you know, people that have 
transplanted themselves into a new environment. Those forms of survival uh, seem to have been necessary, but we definitely seem to be at a tipping point just mm -hmm. culturally. That's interesting to see that resonance between what you're describing here, what you're seeing in the film Encanto to some degree, maybe combating that. Mm -hmm. And then this this other discussion that's happening in that film. Well, and they say we carry our trauma in our DNA, so. Right. Yeah, we pass um, it on. So all of all of us that have suffered the consequences of colonialism, you know, props to our ancestors for just surviving. And now... Yeah. Now we're getting to a, a place, it's nice to think that we're getting to a place where we can not just survive, but we can thrive. Because Lord knows what my grandmother went through. She never, she would never talk about it. And then we right. saw that in a lot of the shorts, you know, about that we saw at Rodeo Cinema, mm -hmm. um, where the the grandmother wouldn't talk about her time in residential schools and they didn't talk about it until she had passed. And my, I know my grandfather interesting his time in residential schools to us and except that he right yes forbade forbade anyone from learning any of the old ways I definitely see that from that period of generation of like reservation mm -hmm. the transition into reservation and the transition into whatever kind of schooling whether it's boarding school or, or not there is definitely like somebody who's hardlined no one way or another it's like no don't learn the old ways don't pass them on so you can live or no do not follow through with what people are telling you you must leave maybe to survive with our culture mm -hmm. or something yeah that's very interesting and so much so that i i like definitely on my mother's side i there are two generations one where it's like accepting and understanding uh the american society was one solution and then the other was to oppose it and not learn and it created some you know communication divide and, I'm, and who knows what that did but that's um that that definitely i think had an effect on other family members and just observing that these two generations did not communicate very easily with each other vocalizing communicate express yourself thank you for joining us for this discussion of encanto Please catch us on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Real Indigenous. Be sure to check back in with us at the same Indigenous time, same Indigenous place. And in the meantime, keep it, don't just keep it real, keep it real, real Indigenous. indigenous. indigenous.